Well, good morning again. My name is Lon Allison, and it's been too long since I've been here with you. But I'm glad to be back now. And uh, Rob Booth said I should always give a little update on my health, because otherwise you will be wondering what that is, and I'm trying to preach a sermon. So let's get that done with. Uh, I've had three relatively difficult months with uh, other side effects that take place with cancer. But I'm glad to say after a few days in the hospital, they loaded me with fluids and antibiotics, and I am power-charged today. I, <laughs> whoa, I, I can't keep track of myself. That's, uh, I'm feeling just wonderful. And of course, I've never had anything like this in my life before, a, a, a really hard cancer. Uh, but I've known about the intercession of the saints. And this is one of the most praying, wonderful churches in the world. And Marie and I, Marie's with me this morning, we are just so honored and grateful to be encaptured uh, by your love and your prayer support during these strange up and down roller coaster months of life that we have. Glad to be with you today, however. All right, there we go. So everybody got that clear? Okay. <laughs> Uh, today we get to talk about Moses, and uh, look at my hands, oh boy. Uh, to, to talk about Moses is an extreme delight, and not only because of who Moses is, but because of who Moses will part point to, and that, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let me start it this way. I'm going to make a point this morning that the key aspect in Moses' life next to his relationship with God, is that he had massive endurance, massive perseverance. And, and if you study the whole uh, book of Hebrews, you'll see that that's a constant theme because the church is in great travail, persecution, fleeing, asylum-seeking, everything that is going on in the world. And the writer to Hebrews has that underlying current throughout the whole book that it doesn't necessarily get easier, but you will get through it. Now, now the word for perseverance that is used in the text and several times in Hebrews, uh, it can be translated into two good English words. The one is perseverance. Not giving up when the going is hard. The second one is endurance. It, it actually comes from two Greek words, and, and the, the first one, it, it, we would translate hyper, and the second one we would translate as stand. Hyper stand. <laughs> no matter what is happening, no matter what is going on, to hyper, hyperspace, stand in the midst of that which is tough and strong. You're going to see that in Moses. Um, here's my theme for the day. I'm going to give you the end at the beginning, and I hope to say this to you several times during the message. As, as I've studied the life of Moses now these last couple of weeks, this is what comes through to me right here. Make sure you are face-to-face -face with God before you face and endure this world. Make sure you are face-to-face -face with God before you face and endure the world that is about you. Now, open your Bibles, please, to the 11th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews. 
And those of you who have been with us, incidentally, if you're visiting today, welcome. Hi, we're glad you're here. And I didn't expect this many people uh, on spring break week. But then you probably didn't take the children to Disney World, did you? Yeah. Because <laughs> you'd be resting if you, if, you, if you did. Yeah. We're glad that you're here. You know, this service is filled so much that, that our choir and, and they, like the brass uh, today, they come and, and play for us and sing for us. They, they can't even sit in the service, so they're actually upstairs in a room watching this on a television. That, that's what we have to do because this 9 o'clock service is so full. Thanks be to God for that. All right. You'll notice that in the uh, book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1 and following, I actually have these in orange highlighter throughout my text. 27 times the word faith will be mentioned. 27 times. And, and the, the writer really wants us to get this faith thing because the faith thing is what allows you to hyperstand. It's what allows you to persevere and endure hardship in life. Faith. Well, what is faith? I've got a definition for you. We're going to put it on the screen. Faith is looking to God and trusting him for everything. Faith is looking to God and trusting him for everything. Some things, everything. Occasional things, everything. Looking to God and trusting him for everything. Now, just evaluate your own life a little bit here. How often do you not trust God for your day? How many little things and even big things come crashing into you, and it's not until they're over that you say, oh, yeah, I forgot about God. In reality, faith is looking to God and developing the habitual pattern of literally entrusting every single detail of your life to him. It's astounding. It's impossible unless the God who calls us to faith gives us the faith to be able to do that, and he does. You're going to see that in Moses. If you would, please stand with me as we read this morning's text, verses 23 of Hebrews 11 through 29. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And verse 29. And by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Thanks be to God for the reading of his holy word. Please be seated. Now notice in this text 
that, uh, and this is, this is great, verse 23. It says, by faith, Moses' parents. It isn't just Moses who's this man of incredible faith. He came from a household of faith. It's right there. By faith, Moses' parents, verse 23, hid him for three months after he was born. Now you say, well, why was that faith? Because the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had declared that all children, male children, born should be killed. Why? Because the population of Jewish people, of Israeli people, was growing at such a rate that it was in danger of overwhelming all of Egypt. And so he passed this edict. Everybody, every, every boy that is born dies. Well, it says for three months they hid him. They hid him in their home. There was something special about him. <coughs> Look what it says there. For three months after he's born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they, look at this, everybody, they were not afraid of the king's edict. What's that say to you about faith? The most powerful person on the planet at that time, the pharaoh of Egypt, had passed a law, and if you broke this law, you'd be killed yourself, probably. They were not afraid of the king's edict. And then if you know the story, how many of you have seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Let my people go. I love that. He starts out as this handsome guy, and then he sees God, and he's got all this white hair, and he looks really weird. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, he's been with God. All right. So you've seen it. You know that not only was he hidden for three months, but then his own mother became his wet nurse, and we don't know how long he actually stayed within the community of his birth. I think it's quite a bit longer than we think because he seems to have a full-orbed understanding of his Jewish people and of their faith before he refuses Pharaoh. So it's very interesting. I think he grew up bicultural. In Jewish culture, raised by the, the uh, sisters of Pharaoh's uh, family. He was, uh, Josephus says he was in line to become Pharaoh. He was somewhere in the Pharaohic line. He, he, he graduated Harvard, summa cum laude. I graduated Cal State Hayward, Lordy come SUNY. <laughs> he knew everything about culture he knew everything about mathematics. He knew everything about governing. He was in line for great power. Yet at the same time, he seems to hold this tension with this other people group from whence he came. Very interesting, isn't it? Uh, I just want to say to those of you that are raising children or uh, parents, uh, grandparents who did raise children and now are in the... Gee, Marie and I are just loving the role of grandparents. And some of you are great-grandparents. You're in a church that has four generations of people. It's one of the most fantastic things you can be a part of. Great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, children. And, and you fit in that timeline somewhere. Even if you're not a parent, you're in an age grouping. That's what makes our church so wonderful. Those of you who serve and help raise our children on Sunday mornings by teaching them, by being with them for an hour, 
thank you so much. You're assisting the family unit in raising up Moses-like people. Nothing, I, I, just, I just regret that I was not raised in a Christian home. I, I'm very grateful that I was, came to Jesus Christ at age 16. I'm very grateful that the Lord used me to help bring my whole family to faith in Christ. I'm very grateful for all of that. But man, did I miss those early days of my dad or my mom doing Bible reading with me. Moses' parents start out as the first heroes here. Their faith was so strong, they were not afraid of the king's edict. And so Moses grows up biculturally. Now look, verses 24 through 26. Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Notice it doesn't say he just asked if it was okay. It says he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Evidently, pressure was being put on him to, instead of being a bicultural person, to literally separate from his own birth uh, nation and stand alone in Egypt and take on the roles that were designed for him. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated. Not only did he refuse to be known primarily as an Egyptian, he was willing to be mistreated with the rest of the people. You know the story. Almost every hand went up here when I asked if you've seen the Ten Commandments. You know the kind of travail they were put through in, in their work. You know that they were slaves. That's what they were. He chose to be a slave amongst his own people rather than, as it says here, enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I love the way that the NIV has that, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Imagine what Moses had at his disposal as, as the Egyptian, raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Imagine what was his. Just think of what was at his disposal in wealth, in wine, in women, in song, in power, in opportunity. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose to be mistreated as a slave like the rest of them. Then it goes even further in verse 26. It says this. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Okay, there's some immense theology in that verse. And if you have studied your Bible much, you ought to be saying this. How did he know that? This is 1,250 to 1,400 years before Christ comes. The text says he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
Neither the doctrine of the coming Messiah nor the doctrine of paradise in heaven were formed yet at this time. We don't know what they believed about God because Moses is the one who writes the first five books of the Bible. But he knew a lot. His parents? Sure. But I'm one of those that actually believes because he was specially chosen for a special task, he heard things from God that few would know. A little bit later in his life, he will actually prophesy of the coming of Messiah. He talks about a prophet like unto him who will come and obey everything that he says. So he had some intelligence that, that had to come directly from God or from a sophisticated theology that we don't know anything about because we get our first five books of the Bible from Moses himself. So think about it. He refused to be known as the Egyptian king-in-waiting. Secondly, he chooses to be mistreated like a slave. And third, he's even willing to go through the disgrace of that because it was for the sake of who was coming, the Messiah. Wow. All of this happens before he's 40 years old, and he's looking ahead to his reward. He's already looking ahead to the heavenly promise that we sang about in almost every song this morning, that I think about every day, the heavenly promise, that there's not two lives. You don't live here, die, and then start the next one. There's one life, and as my friend Tom Johnson said, you just merge right into the heavenly road. Moses had some inkling of all of that, everybody. Stunning, astounding. And yet, not surprising, we have a supernatural, sovereign, loving God who was preparing a way for over a million and a half slaves to become asylum seekers in another land. Off we go. But although he had all of that on his side, although he had all of that theology in his head, I think something happened that Moses didn't expect. This text doesn't tell us, but for those of you who would really like to read this whole story and you've never done it or haven't done it in a long time, pick up your Bible this afternoon. Uh, ladies, there's going to be basketball on. You probably don't want to watch it. Uh, uh, men, your team will probably lose. Uh, <laughs> all of mine have. Uh, it starts in Exodus chapter 2, the second book of the Bible, right in the second chapter. And you can just read this fantastic story about Moses that goes on there. But one of the things Moses did when he refused to be considered the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he, um, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And what did he do? He killed him. He killed him. The next day, he was with his chosen people, and he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he tried to separate them, and one of them said, hey, and one of them pushes Moses away and says, hey, who made you our Lord and Master? Who gave you that authority? Are you going to kill us in the same way that you killed the Egyptian just yesterday? 
And at about age 40, Moses knew that not only was he rejected now by Egypt, he's rejected by his own people. And this enters the second 40 years of his life. And you won't see much that regards it in our text, except I really do believe that in verse 27, we're getting close to it. But let me just tell you the story. Moses, afraid, flees Egypt and flees the Hebrews. He is a man with no home, rejected by his birth culture, rejected by his uh, adopted culture, and off he goes into the wilderness alone, but for God. Forty years. The man who would be king, or the man who I actually believe that Moses, in his first 40 years, thought that God had a special purpose for him to help his people. But he rushed to it instead of waiting on God. And now he flees into the wilderness on his own. He becomes a shepherd. And as you know, even in the time of Christ, shepherds were considered the lowest class of society you could be in. He marries a woman who is neither Egyptian nor Hebrew, a Midianite, and he lives his life. He is out of commission. We call this the wilderness era of Moses. How long was it? 40 years. 40 years. From 40 to age 80, he's living in the wilderness with Midianites. This is his wilderness. Michael Card has a song uh, about this in his trilogy of the Old Testament. And it's just called The Wilderness. And it goes a little bit like this. He goes, in the wilderness, in the wilderness, he calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness, but he gives strength sufficient to survive any test, and that's the faithful promise of the wilderness. And then he has this line, he goes, moaning and groaning along the desert days, the windy winter wilderness can blow the self away. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Moaning and groaning along the desert days, the windy winter wilderness can blow the self away in the wilderness, in the wilderness. He calls his sons and daughters to the wilderness, but he gives strength sufficient to survive any test and that's the faithful promise of the wilderness Moses is in it chances are you have been or are or I promise you you will be and one of the great advantages there is that we, when we get in the wilderness of great challenges and problems and fears and doubts and pain and sorrows is that if we stay close to God, God strips us of ourself and brings his self to ourself so that we can endure anything and become more like him in the process. This is what's happening to Moses. The great Dwight L. Moody said, <laughs> I'm going to tell this story, honey. Okay, yeah, okay. Okay, the great Dwight Moody said, so that you not think I'm this smart. I'm not. I didn't find this quote. Marie knew it. Uh, she had the quote. Uh, but I'm sitting with her on Friday at about 
maybe it's two o'clock in the afternoon, and I don't know if we were having tea or something, but I said, I've finished all the research. Now it's time to bring it all compiled together and pray for that miracle for God to put a message together out of this. And, and I, yeah, I said something like, I think, you know, my mind is just buzzing with all this content. And then Marie, who's as, who's as well-read a theologian as I am, uh, says, oh, uh, there's something I could uh, offer you in this. And I looked at my wife and said, I want no more content. I want no more research. I'm overloaded now. And, and my wife goes, okay, but it's a pretty good one. <laughs> and I said, all right, well, tell me. So this is Marie, quoting Moody. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. Then he spent 40 years realizing he was nobody. And then his last 40 years were seeing how God uses nobodies. Was that worth it? Was that worth the story? You want, want me to give you that one more time for those of you who want to copy it? Because I, I didn't make a PowerPoint of it. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. Then he f- spent 40 years finding out he was nobody. And then he spent 40 years seeing what God does with nobodies. Because it's at age 80 now where Moses comes back seeing the burning bush, hearing the call of God, and at age 80, he heads back for Egypt to be the deliverer. And off he goes. Now, verses 27 through 29 say this. By faith, he left Egypt, uh, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. I think that verse is pointing to the last 40 years of Moses' life. I think it's after he returns to Egypt and, and remember Pharaoh and Moses literally have a battle, a supernatural battle over changing landscape, frogs, locusts, bloody water, et cetera, et cetera, the great nine plagues that take place. And then when none of those convinced Pharaoh's heart and, and God actually comes to a point, if you say no to God long enough, God will say no to you, Okay. And, and he finally hardens Pharaoh's heart. God is saying yes and calling you all of the time. But don't wait too long. Pharaoh's time passed. And then here's what takes place. He goes to Pharaoh and he says, the firstborn son of every Egyptian family is going to die. Let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I will not let your people go. And of course, that begins the great Passover, where God says, tell all of the Hebrew people in the land of Goshen to sacrifice as pure a lamb as they can find. And sacrifice that lamb, and then take the lamb's blood and put it on the doorposts and over the door and down. For it is the blood of the sacrificial lamb that will preserve even the Hebrew children. Now, here's, this is really interesting. You've got to get this. All of the other nine plagues only impacted the, the Egyptian people. Imagine them living in, in the center of, of, of the Egyptian capital, and Goshen was like West Chicago. It was many miles away. 
So all of those plagues that came upon the Egyptian people, they didn't bother Goshen. They continued just making their bricks and such out there. But this last plague does. Moses says, God says to Moses, even you must sacrifice the blood of the lamb to be preserved. What's that pointing to, everybody? The Lamb of God who will be slain for the sins of the whole world, for you and for me. The Hebrews weren't getting off on this one. Why? Because as, as you said so well, sis, in your song, you talked about how we want God to help us with all our needs, but our biggest need has been taken care of by Jesus Christ. Every Hebrew child needed to be forgiven for their sins too. And so the blood saved them as well as it would have Egyptian children if they had taken it seriously. They didn't. A great cry went out from Egypt, and the firstborn children of every household, even unto Pharaoh, was destroyed and killed. Very, very sad. But then he finally says, get out of here. <laughs> and then the crossing starts to take place. Moses, we don't know how many people there were we know that the Bible tells us there were well over 600,000 men. If that did not include women and children, multiply it. And I always use the figure of at least a million and a half human beings that left Egypt, asylum seekers. Right? Yeah. Being persecuted deeply where they were, trying to find safety. A million and a half asylum seekers. He starts heading them straight into the desert. They come to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea looks daunting. And when they get to the Red Sea, Pharaoh and his chariots were catching up to them because he decided he was going to obliterate them for what they had done to his firstborn uh, child and family. And then, you know, the cloud of pillar by day and fire by night, uh, 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 all of that happens. The sea parts, and the, and the Hebrews go through on dry land. It is, if you will, their baptism into a new civilization. And then as the, as the, as the chariots of Pharaoh enter the water to, to try to catch them, the waters crush them and destroy them all. From there on, Moses is another nearly 40 years dealing with these people, trying to get them to the promised land. They complain. Even his own family is envious of him. They have to live desert life. He has millions of decisions that are thrust upon him. He was one amazing human being because he wasn't human any longer. God dwelt in him, and God was in him. But what a life of sorrow he had. How many times they turned on him after everything that he had done. It was extremely hard. In fact, now you think about this perseverance. Look, it says in 27, he left Egypt no longer fearing the king's anger. He persevered because what? He saw him who was invisible. Only his relationship with God would sustain him. And so we, we move toward the end of Moses' life, but let's just think about it a little bit. Think about the leadership capacities that God had given this man. Think of how he had prepared him for, uh, for going to work when he was 80 years old. 
Think of 1.5 million people led to a new land. That would be like half of the city of Chicago led to a new land. Then, then he builds a nation from a slave culture. For 400 years, all they knew how to be was slaves. And Moses, because of God's guidance in his life, develops a whole economic and a whole governmental structure to govern um, what we would call a major megacity. Think of what else he does. He develops and crafts a theology to how to know God and love God and worship God. So, first of all, just the, the administrative and leadership possibility of being able to fight against Pharaoh, then lead the people out, and, and then develop a system of how they can live together. And then from that, uh, developing a military force that they'd have to use to get into the promised land. And then after that, developing the worship structure, how to know and love God. This was truly, truly a great person that God used. But I emphasize that it was a person that God used. We are always tempted to make heroes out of men. Or the new word that I just saw today on television is sheroes if it's a woman. So you have heroes if it's men, and now we have sheroes if it's women. So heroes and sheroes with me here today. You're really not. <laughs> and don't listen to it when people tell you you are. If there's one thing Moses knew, it's that nothing came from him. Remember that definition of faith? Looking at God and trusting him for everything. Just let me give you a snapshot of some scriptures now about Moses' faith. Chapter 12, verse 3. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. What is humility? Knowing that anything that you do is not you. He was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Look at this next one. God said, with Moses, I speak face to face, clearly, not in riddles. He literally sees the form of the Lord. Are you starting to catch this? The intimacy of the relationship between God and Moses? Look at this third passage, Exodus 33 and 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Wow. What would it be like to be called the friend of God? Again, because we think of Moses as pre-Christ and couldn't have understand all the theology of the new covenant and the new birth. And, I mean, all of that. Yeah, I, I have no idea what he understood but I do know that he understood what it was to have intimacy with God. And it's what sustained him. It's what enabled him to persevere. And finally, from Exodus 34, verse 29. When he came out of the tabernacle where he'd been with God, and, and also when he comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he'd spoken with the Lord. I'm really trying to be radiant today. How am I doing? 
when I finish my prep this morning and, and I, I have this little prayer chair that I sit in early on Sundays to go over my sermon one more time and I, I have a candle lit that's a real candle so you get real flicker and then I have three fake ones behind it and I have a little cross and, and, and then I have the Lord's Supper uh, chalice there. It, it's all a part of what helps me to worship God. And I, I just, I don't, I don't know if I was glowing but my heart was. You know what that's like when you spend time with God and you sense his nearness and you sense that there isn't anything that he can't handle that you're trying to handle without him. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. Well, I would be remiss if I ended at this point. I need to tell you that everything that we hear about Moses is merely a shadow as contrasted with who Jesus Christ will be. We often call Moses a type of Christ. In other words, he points to the greater one who will come. And just listen to these things, if you will. I do not have them on the screen. Moses would save one and a half million people, but the one greater than Moses would save the whole world. Moses would spend 40 days alone on the mountain fasting and in prayer. But the one greater than Moses would spend 40 days in the wilderness fasting and prayer and battling Satan. Moses would come away from God with his face aglow. But the one greater than Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration, his whole personage changed into his heavenly body. Moses was envied, hated, and mistreated the one greater than Moses was envied, hated, mistreated, and killed for the very people he loved. Moses looked at the promised land. The one greater than Moses promised a land that would be paradise. Moses sacrificed the blood of a lamb to save Israel's firstborn. Jesus sacrifices his blood to give all who were born and believe in him eternal life. Moses died before he got to the promised land. Jesus died and rose again to give Moses the paradise for which he longed. That gives me chills. I hope you know Jesus Christ. I hope you've come to the point in your life where you said, I don't run my life very well at all, and there's a mess inside me that God needs to forgive. If you've not done that, do that today. We'll have some prayer counselors here. All you need to say is, I want to know Christ the way Elon was talking about today. We'll do that. So friends, as I say goodbye here, here's what I had to say on a couple of application points. One, life requires endurance. Ain't no doubt about it. Right? Any of you here over 50? <laughs> yeah. Any of you in your 40s? Yeah, perseverance. 30s? Yep. Yeah. 20s? Yep. Children living in a home that you don't understand? Yep. Yeah. Perseverance is a key to life, but perseverance comes from faith. 
So here it is again, that theme of the day. Make sure you are face to face with God before you face and endure your world. Amen and amen.